from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The deepening cyber problems the U.S. and its allies are experiencing. And so one night around midnight, middle of the night, we're sitting in this tent and I, and, I, and I had these cyber professionals from eight different countries in there. And I asked them, I said, hey, who in this room has never had the Chinese in your networks uninvited? Everybody just kind of looked around. I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, who in this room has never had the Russians uninvited in your networks? No hands. I was like, that's what I thought. I said, hey, we have the same adversary. We deal with the same problem sets in this domain, yet we don't have as close a partnership as I think we could. That's Command Sergeant Major William Reinhardt from U.S. Army South. Have you ever thought about whether the U.S. and its allies in the Western Hemisphere work together against adversaries in the cyber realm like Russia and China? Well, there is a lot of work that needs to be done to make the situation better. And Reinhardt talks about it on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP. In Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Has this happened to you? Robert Moore? Mr. Moore, this is Jerry Fielding with People Power, an executive placement service out of New York. Okay. I was just calling to see if you were happy with your work. With the work, yes. Well, how about the money? I found your resume on LinkedIn, and... Foreign spies are not just walking the streets here in Washington. They're in your inbox, looking for people with classified and sensitive information. Social media has made it easier for them to find. Brian Dugan, Assistant Special Agent in Charge of Counterintelligence at the Washington Field Office of the FBI. LinkedIn is one example. Uh, People put out there what they did in a prior life. And here's the problem. To any good intelligence service, those are going to be clues to find people that used to have a government job or uh, access to a clearance at one time or another. And who's most likely to be recruited? Somebody who gets stuck with high bills, who has a lifestyle they can't sustain. And then you combine that with somebody who does not believe their career has gone the right way. Maybe they feel like they've been undervalued in the system. Philip Mudd, former deputy director of the National Security Division at the FBI. So, as a record number of American citizens retire, their options are wide open. And Washington spies know that. The human ones and the artificial ones as well. Hello, JJ. How are you today? I want to be your friend. There are sophisticated organizations out there that can figure out how to contact you. Sometimes leaving computerized voice messages. Messages that some fall for. Espionage in Washington has not been confined to human spying. Retired CIA clandestine officer Mark Kelton. In 2015, Chinese uh, intelligence uh, cyber operators stole sensitive personnel information from the Office of Personnel Management, OPM. So here's the simple reality. Not only are there humans on the streets of Washington trying to recruit Americans to become spies, but there are technological components and people working remotely. 
as was simulated in this FBI video called Company Man. As in China? <laughs> I don't think you'll be laughing when you hear the salary. No, there's no way that I can move to China. Think of it as a vacation. The simple warning from the FBI, think of the other kind of vacation and don't do it. Chinese and Russian intelligence are coming hard at the U.S. and its allies, and they're coming fast. Senior U.S. officials visited London not too long ago with a last-minute plea asking them not to allow Huawei technologies to supply equipment for its 5G broadband networks. They were warning that U.S. intelligence sharing could be at risk. Deputy National Security Advisor Matthew Pottinger and other officials from the State Department argued that there's no way the U.S. can mitigate those security risks from such a network, and we're told they took a dossier of evidence with them detailing the connections between Huawei and Chinese intelligence. We don't know what was in that dossier, but we do know the U.S. is very concerned that once actors that they suspect may be bad in the Huawei network get into the U.S. networks, there could be serious national security problems. That's a part of an effort that's going on on the diplomatic level, but there's also a military level, and it's happening on many levels within the military. One of them is running through Command Sergeant Major William Reinhardt of U.S. Army South, who's dealing with U.S. allies in the military in the Western Hemisphere. So, in the last, probably the past two years, um, as I came on board with U.S. Army South, um, the general officer that hired me uh, did so because of my background in the uh, the cyber uh, army cyber world, and and, he, and I asked him because the, my position has typically been held by you know an infantryman or uh, a cav scout and. Throughout the history of U.S. Army South, you know, as far back as when it was in Panama, and I asked him, "Why did you hire me, sir?" And he said, "I, I hired you because you, you understand this cyber thing, and and all the partners down there want to know about this cyber and they want help." And he says, "I, I'm an infantryman." He says, "I can, I can do that. I can answer all those questions." He says, "I can't answer all those questions about cyber. I need a guy that can." I can just pitch it over to you, and you answer the question. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, sir, I'll do it for you. And and so here we are two years later, and uh, we, we've, you know, I've got a new commander, uh, Major General Dan Walrath, came on board in July, and he picked up right where we were, you know, uh, as, as Major General uh, Mark Stammer left. And, and I'll tell you, it's been a, a fantastic ride, but he was right. There, cyber is, is huge, you know, and... I had another uh, uh, general officer uh, that I worked for in the past, um, and he used to always say, hey, hey, there's this thing called the Internet. Millions of people are on it. There's more every day. You need to get on board. And so our, our partners certainly have. And over the last half decade, or in some cases a little bit longer, uh, they, they have certainly uh, gone down this road to uh, build their cyber capabilities and capacities in defense of their, their nations. Okay. So what are the challenges to uh, shared interoperability in the Western Hemisphere? So in, in, in the areas of, uh, I would say, for cyber, it's um, part of it is we spend more time looking at the cybersecurity aspect 
defensive cyber, um, and I and I don't really spend a lot of time. Uh, we don't really spend a lot of time with um with them on offensive cyber. You know, offensive cyber is a very touchy subject. It deals with you know sovereignty of your country. You know, it's our state secrets, and so nobody wants to talk about you know offensive cyber operations. You know, it's a, it's a touchy area, and so we we don't and. U.S. Army South as we engage with our partners, and part of it is just helping pointing them in the right direction. Because if you think about it, uh, cybersecurity, you know, all the a lot of the cyber training, you know, this internet technology training is commercially available. It's taught, you know, you can teach yourself online in in your in your own home. You know, you got kids in middle school that are that are learning how to code. You know, you've got high school students that are already a year into their STEM degree, you know, for their undergraduate, uh, before they even graduate high school, um, because they, they, they've grown up with this technology. And so our partners, uh, they, they recognize that. They understand, hey, there's, there's things that we can do together, you know, to, to strengthen the, the security defenses, you know, the cybersecurity defenses of, of the Western Hemisphere. We can, we can work together. And, and I'll tell you, it was... It was interesting about um, almost two years ago when I first came into the job, we, we had an exercise called Panamax. It's a big exercise about defending the Panama Canal. Nearly 20 countries come together during this exercise. They all come to San Antonio, and we go out in the field, and we, we do war games about defending the Panama Canal against an adversary. And so eight of the countries sent um, some of their cyber professionals and we wanted to work into the exercise a cyber defense uh, piece to it. And so one night, around midnight, middle of the night, we're sitting in this tent, and I, and, I, and I had these cyber professionals from eight different countries in there, and I asked them, I said, hey, who in this room has never had the Chinese in your networks uninvited? Everybody just kind of looked around. I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> okay, who in this room has never had the Russians uninvited in your networks no hands I was like that's what I thought I said hey we have the same adversary we deal with the same problem sets in this domain yet we don't have as close a partnership as I think we could and there are areas that we can work together uh, particularly in cybersecurity and cyber defense critical, you know, building infrastructure that's defendable, um, helping each other, you know, shoulder to shoulder in this domain, just like we stand shoulder to shoulder in the land domain, in the air domain, in the maritime domain. And uh, so they, you know, one of the uh, one of the partner nations, he, he made a comment, he said, Sergeant Major, what you're saying, that's revolutionary. I was like, hey, man, we can't, we can't say that word in here. We're not going to say that word. We, <laughs> But, but you're right. It's, it's just not spoken of. So you know, try to change the dialogue a little bit. There's things that we can do. And when cyber stood up, that word, it was so scary to a lot of people because for a long time, you know, a lot of your, um, you know, the U.S. and a lot of the Five Eyes partners, you know, that was a very uh, classified area or realm to be in, you know, because it, it, we were trying to develop this this. this Defense, these, these offenses, this capability, and, and 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 as we do, we try to get ahead of our adversaries. You know, stay in front of them. 
And so, um, but there's there's so much we can do together that's not classified. Gotcha. So give us a few examples briefly of some of those things you can do that aren't classified that you can uh, give us uh, off the top of your head. So, um, particularly uh, training. Um, you know, the U.S. Army uh, Cyber Center of Excellence at Fort Gordon, Georgia, uh, inside their uh, cyber school, uh, excuse me, inside their signal school, they have uh, two uh, cybersecurity courses uh, that, that deal particularly strictly with, I mean, just cybersecurity and infrastructure and how, it, how you develop, you know, good habits. Uh, and it's and it's available to international students. And so I went to the, the the signal school and I asked the commandant and his SAR major. I said, Hey, uh, you know, I know you have a pretty robust international student population. I think at the time they had maybe 56 international students. I said, How many of those students are from the Western Hemisphere? How many of them for Central or South America? And they looked at me and they said, SAR major, none of them, not one. Not one student in the cybersecurity courses at the signal school were of Latin American descent. Mm -hmm. They were all Middle Eastern and European. And I thought, okay, all right. So I went back, and the commandant was like, hey, doors are open, you know, through the IMET, you know, uh, programs, uh, through the embassies, and, uh, you know, there's funding available, and we can help our partners and, and offer them seats and, and, and classes. And so we've done that. Um, the uh, another instance is uh, there is a course in San Antonio, Texas, at the Inter American Air Force Academy, also known as IAFA, and IAFA has two courses taught in Spanish um, that are that deal strictly in the cybersecurity and cyber defense uh, areas, and and those are also courses that you know is new to the you know the the, the military uh, and and the IMAP program and so we've we've offered that down to our, our partners and they've taken advantage of that and I can tell you one of the uh, one of our biggest partners uh, in the region you know Brazil and Colombia I mean you know the, the two most most capable militaries down there in this area um, but I'll tell you Peru and, and Argentina um, you know, they're all in Chile. They're all they're all rapidly building their capabilities, and and we're doing everything we can to help them with that. Is there anything that I haven't spoken to you about today that you want to speak about briefly before we finish up? I appreciate the opportunity to, to sit down with you and, and and talk about this. And and I'll tell you, it's been a uh, it's been an incredible ride for me uh, at U.S. Army South. Uh, particularly working with our neighbors in, in Central and South America and the Caribbean nations. Uh, all of them, we, we share the same challenges. Uh, sometimes it's just on a different scale. Mm -hmm. And and what we found out, what we, found, what we find is it, it, we can certainly work these problem sets a lot better if we do it together uh, versus uh, letting them try to do it on their own. And and the, the the Chinese are down in the AOR. Uh, they're working really hard to, to fill gaps that that, that our, our partners perceive or see or actually have. And so, it's important that um, you know we stay engaged with our partners uh, because the the presence of the, the the Chinese in in South America, Central America, and the Caribbean. I believe, and and I believe that Southcom and Army South. Um, 
you know, we can show that it, it's a lot greater than, than most people probably think. Uh, the influence is, I mean, it's just incredible. Predatory lending practices and donations of equipment, but it all comes with ties. Whereas partnering with the United States uh, usually doesn't have a tie. We're, we're neighbors and we're friends to the end. Thank you very much for that, uh, Command Sergeant Major. I appreciate your time. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you. That was Command Sergeant Major William Reinhardt from U.S. Army South. To put this whole thing into perspective, the U.S. is the number one target, espionage, and cyber in the world, and its adversaries are using every opportunity to come after the U.S. February 2nd, 1993, Capitol Hill. A hearing room before the Senate Intelligence Committee. A little more than three years after the Berlin Wall fell and the USSR crumbled, Jim Wolsey, being confirmed as the CIA director, issued a disturbing prophecy. Yes, we have slain a large dragon, but we live now in a jungle filled with a bewildering variety of poisonous snakes. And in many ways, the dragon was easier to keep track of. He was warning about the coming explosion of threats facing the U.S., he said, For now at least, the cataclysmic risk of full-scale nuclear war has receded beyond the horizon. But that risk, in the shadow of a new great power competition, has emerged once again. And with it, an espionage threat the world has never seen before. On any given day, there are two to three million people worldwide engaged in espionage. Chris Simmons, former DIA counterintelligence branch chief, he's not alone. You know, we're talking about three or four million. Former CIA covert operative Robert Bayer, their number one target. The number one espionage target in the world is the United States, clearly. Mark Kelton, retired CIA officer who worked clandestinely behind the Iron Curtain. While Russian intelligence is a critical threat, they are not leading this espionage charge. Of the millions out here around the world involved in espionage, at least half that number worked for China. Chris Simmons again. And if you want to hear it from someone currently involved in the fight, China by far, I think, is our preeminent counterintelligence threat. Pete Lamb, special agent at the Washington Field Office of the FBI. So what exactly is everybody after? Here's Mark Kelton again. Adversaries are trying to divine government secrets, but it goes well beyond that. How far beyond it does it go? We'll examine it in our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about our program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. One word at whiskey, tango, Oscar, papa, jgreen at WTOP.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, if you're interested in more national and international security news, sign up for my newsletter, Inside the Skiff, at WTOP.com slash alerts. Again, thank you for listening. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. From A&E, the creators of Cold Case Files, comes your next true crime podcast obsession, PD Stories. Every week, 
law enforcement professionals. Join host Tom Morris Jr. from America's Most Wanted and Live PD to share their experiences, insights, and perspectives on policing. You're not going to want to miss this show. Be sure to subscribe on Podcast One, Apple Podcast, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every week. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.